Hey Amazon selling enthusiast, it's Eric here, and if you're tired of the inventory management struggle, I've got a game changer for you. InventoryLab.com. InventoryLab simplifies e-commerce inventory management, integrates seamlessly with Amazon, and even syncs effortlessly with QuickBooks for hassle-free accounting. Go to Milwaukee Mafia slash IL now because your success deserves efficient inventory management. Happy selling. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. I'm Eric Waltikins. I'm Gavin Schmidt. And Gavin, we're back again before we take another little break here, so... Oh, not really... Well, a week break. Yeah, I guess we, we'll be back to it. Nobody time. will notice. Yeah. What do you got for us today? Okay, so this time I've got Foxhead Brewing and the Mafia. Cool, a brewery and the Mafia, huh? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So this is unnecessarily long, uh, <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to breeze through it as much as I can. The Waukesha Spring, Waukesha Spring Brewing Company was founded in 1893 by a consortium of Chicago saloon keepers who hoped a cooperative brewery would help them obtain beer at a lower price. After a number of name changes, ownership changes, and so on, the Waukesha Spring Brewing Company ultimately became the Foxhead Brewing Company. And what year are we in when this happens? When it becomes Foxhead? Yeah, do you know? Or... Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know? Um, wrong question to ask people <laughs> i don't know exactly but what time around the time frame so people have an idea of where we're sitting at well okay so this the brewery starts in 1893 we're, our story is actually in the 1950s okay so we're no we're way off here we're way off here but uh during the prohibition era i'm just kind of giving a very quick run through of this company here during the prohibition era they couldn't sell beer, you know. Obviously. Obviously. But guess what Waukesha is known for is its spring water, its healthy spring water. Oh. And when they were making beer, they said, well, this is why our beer is the best, because it's made from the very best water. But, this, you know. This is completely off topic, and you probably don't know the answer. But okay. Why would Waukesha have good, clean spring water? I definitely don't know the answer to that. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't know what makes a spring a good spring, I don't know. but uh, but they were known for that. And so, yeah, during Prohibition, you know, they had to switch gears and they would sell healthy mineral waters instead. But they had such a good reputation. They got through Prohibition, did pretty good. And we're not doing anything shady? Not that I'm aware of. Not, not as part of my story, no. Cool. Yeah. And uh, after Prohibition, they came back. They were making their nice, delicious beer. Uh, out of their fresh, fresh, delicious spring water. And, uh, yeah, they were ready to go from day one. When Prohibition ended, they had advertisements in all the papers. They were delivering from Waukesha down to Chicago on that first day. And soon they were able to get up to the Upper Peninsula. They were able to get to Indiana. They were able to get to Nebraska. And it took them a little bit, but eventually they were even to get as far away as New Jersey. So... Not many people know about Foxhead Brewery today, but it was a pretty big deal. 
at the time. Is Foxhide Brewery something else now, or did it just go under? It's gone. But in the 1940s, it was a pretty big deal. And it sounds like, for the 1940s, that sounds like quite a bit of a reach to be all the way out to New Jersey when you're in Wisconsin. Yes. I mean, I guess I don't know how the beer industry worked back then, but... but It was the fifth largest brewery in Wisconsin, which doesn't sound like much, but... When you consider what the other four are. Which is going to be Miller. Yeah. PBR. Pabst, yeah. Uh, Come on, man. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Schlitz. Okay, Schlitz. And? And Stroh's, maybe? No. I don't even know if Stroh's is Wisconsin. Blatt's. Blatt's. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard. I got to think of all these ghetto beers that hey, existed. Hey. <laughs> they were a pretty big deal in, the, in their own time. Fox had increased production each year, year after year. They did very, very good. They were, had television advertisements. They were traded on the American Stock Exchange. I mean, these are this was a real beer. There was a similarly named brewing company in Chicago called the Fox Deluxe Brewing Company, and they decided to merge. Which, you know, mostly a coincidence, but it was convenient that there weren't two Fox breweries, <laughs> you know, near each other. So now Fox Deluxe and Fox Head were the same. They were now just Fox Head. When they combined, they were able to exceed 200,000 barrels a day of beer rolling out, which... Uh, sounds like a lot. Sounds like a lot. Yeah. We don't know if it's a lot, though, really. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure I'm sure. the likes of Budweiser and Miller are producing way more than that. Right, right, right. Um, when the companies combined, the new management kind of got some, uh, some infighting. Some of the Chicago guys felt one way. Some of the Waukesha guys felt another. Some people were forced out by other directors. It was kind of a mess, but you'll have that. After all this shakeup, there actually was very little left as far as a Waukesha connection goes, the brewery was in Chicago, but most of the directors were from the, the brewery was in Waukesha, but most of the directors were from Chicago and one was even as far away as New York. So none of them actually lived in Waukesha anymore. Sales slowly started to decline after the merger with a few peaks here and there. And that was a terrible summary of this company, but it brings <laughs> us up to where our story actually is. 1958. So now at this point in time, they're merged. They're merged. And they're one company. They're one company. Okay. In 1958, there was a committee before the U.S. Senate, and they found out through interviews that Foxhead Brewery was paying Tony Accardo, the head of the Chicago Mafia, at least $43,000 a year to do apparently nothing. To just to be on the payroll. Investigations found that he was apparently using this business to avoid taxes. He would write this off on his taxes for various business expenses that he did not have. During his own testimony, Accardo cited the Fifth Amendment 172 times <laughs> wow. to avoid answering questions. In July 1959, one of the distributors involved in Foxhead was gunned down in a gangland-style assassination. Everything was all fine and good, and then the mobster getting connections here. Do you know, so it was Foxhead, and what was the other one called, Fox? Fox Deluxe. Was Fox Deluxe already connected to the mafia in Chicago, and then when they merged, they kind of brought the mafia into Foxhead? 
I don't that- I don't think so. I don't think so. We're going to we're going to get a bit more about this from what I'm able to put together. Okay. From the investigation, they found out that there was a meeting this is going back, you know, a couple of years. Meeting on April 14th, 1956. There was a meeting in Chicago, well actually in Forest Forest Park, but we'll say Chicago for convenience. The president of Foxhead was there. So were the mobsters Tony Accardo, Dominic Volpe, Jack Cerrone, and Murray Humphreys. Also present was the mob attorney, Eugene Bernstein. Bernstein, before working for the mob, was the national president of both the Society of American Magicians and the International Brotherhood <laughs> of Magicians. So, not relevant for anything, but just throwing that out there. This guy also was is a practicing magician <laughs> on top of being a mob attorney. At this meeting, there was some discussion going on uh, about how to get people on the payroll. Uh, some of them had been buying stock and had a little bit of influence legitimately. But they said, let's get some uh, let's get some of our guys on the payroll. So Jack Cerrone, another another big Chicago mobster, he was given a $25,000 a year job as a salesman. And they wanted to get Tony Accardo a similar job. Well, the president of the company didn't really like that idea because they didn't really want the head of the Chicago oh, mafia <laughs> on the payroll. But they found a way around this. Accardo was going to be hired on by Premium Beer Sales, which was the company owned by Dominic Volpe, one of these mob guys. And Premium Beer Sales was, was a distributor. So he would work for this company, and Foxhead would pay the distributor to pay Accardo. So he'd still get paid by Foxhead, but he wouldn't be listed as an employee. He'd be listed as an employee of this other company, this the distributor company. Okay. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Okay. Why why did they want this guy on the payroll? Are we getting to that? Well, they they made the case that if this guy is on the payroll, he's going to push this beer. They said, apparently, I mean, I don't know this, but allegedly, they said, if you get Tony on your payroll, he's going to have a hundred guys out there going to all the bars, telling them that they should have Foxhead beer on tap. And they made a very persuasive pitch that he was going to get sales to go way up because he was a very influential person. Mm-hmm. There were no threats, but there were definitely a lot of hints that it'd be a good idea to hire this guy. So they did. Needless to say, I'm guessing he did not come through on driving sales up since the company went. He apparently did not come through. He uh, is getting this job. They actually hire him on. For $65,000 a year, just a lot of money in the 50s. Still pretty good money today. And isn't that more than the original talk was? Didn't you say before that it was going to be forty-five? Yeah. So they, they the just... Other, all- the other guy they got on the payroll was, was paid 25000 They were talking more 45000 but then they they got it up to 65000 because they said he'd also do some marketing. Not just sales, but also marketing. So they they got his fee up a little higher. It does sound like he tried to have some influence. Um, after this, there were Chicago mob guys who started investing heavily in the company, buying stock and other things. And of course, if they're buying stock, they want the company to do good. And we even see in Milwaukee that um, Vito Aiello, John Aiello, two Milwaukee mob guys um, were pushing sales of Foxhead in the Kenosha area. So apparently he was saying, hey, 
Milwaukee guys, you should be pushing Foxhead. So it sounds like he did try to do it a little bit. Not $65,000 a year worth, but he, was, <laughs> he, he got the word out there. January 1960. So he's been on the payroll for a little while now. A hidden microphone catches Murray Humphreys, one of the mob guys, talking to John Darko. And John Darko is a mob guy, but he also happens to be a politician. He runs the first ward in Chicago. Very influential guy. Humphreys says, yeah, that's the bad thing. I'm going to have to fight like hell. Unless there's something I don't know nothing about. And we get clean guys in there. Know what I mean? If they don't indict fight, you know... And a couple of those guys, if it's just heads, then we're in a bad way. If they don't indict fight, then they can't indict me. Darko asks, fight? Humphrey says, yeah, fight. The president of Foxhead Brewery. If they don't in indict him, they can't indict me. The way the guy told me, his friend told me, they were going to indict fight. Not fight. I mean Volpe. <laughs> they were going <laughs> to indict them on account of Joe. And Joe is what everybody calls Tony Accardo. They were going <laughs> to indict them on account of Joe, and on account of that he conspired. See? And the premium beer. But that isn't it. The truth is, they sent all their beer there, and that they paid Joe. He went in and testified. He said, you go in and testify. Testify the truth, and there's nothing wrong. Then they can't call it perjury. Now, did you understand any of that? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to craft a question that basically meant i don't understand anything that was just said okay <laughs> what's going on here so mob guys even when they don't think they're being recorded they learn to talk in really vague ways where they'll be like that guy or that guy who knows that guy and, and they try not to use names and somehow the other person understands this <laughs> but what's going on in this conversation is that Senate hearing had happened, and it was coming out that Accardo was on the payroll. Okay. And so now they were afraid that the head of Foxhead Brewery was going to get indicted for some kind of a conspiracy to be involved with this criminal pushing of the beer. And then Murray Humphreys is afraid that if the head of the brewery gets indicted, he's going to get indicted because he was at the meeting where they were pushing hiring these guys. So all this ramble... Is just them being like, hearing through the grapevine that something's coming down and the head of Foxhead Brewery might end up getting arrested and indicted. And they're getting arrested and indicted because these people are on their payroll? Right. It's, it's really vague. They think they're going to get arrested on a conspiracy charge. And conspiracy to do what? I'm not sure. Okay. But apparently just like, I guess on the agreement that they hired these guys knowing that they're probably going to use questionable tactics to sell the beer. I'm okay. guessing. Okay. I'm guessing that's supposed to be the conspiracy. And I guess my, my question is, is, is there a law that says you hire somebody with the well, understanding that they'll probably do something illegal, that that's illegal? Well, that's conspiracy. That's conspiracy? Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you hire somebody and you know they're going to start like um, extorting people or threatening violence... I mean, you're part of that. I mean, you're an accomplice, so. But at first, they have to actually do the illegal thing. They have to do the illegal thing, yeah. Okay. At this point, though, we have no, we have not heard anything that says that this mob boss actually did anything illegal to help this bar. Or Correct. This craft brewery, whatever you want to call it. Correct, okay. yes. Okay. 
The next day, Murray Humphreys meets with attorney Mike Brodkin in the same area where the hidden microphone is. And the attorney warns Humphreys that the government just put out a new subpoena to obtain employment records from Premium Beer Sales, the distributor of Foxhead. He further said that they were having trouble with Bradley Eban, who used to be the attorney for Premium Beer Sales. And he said, watch out for that guy. He owes money to the government. He could start talking. There's definitely still this talk going on. A week later, an indictment does come down, not for the head of Foxhead Brewery, but just for Tony Accardo. And it's not a conspiracy indictment, and it's not an extortion indictment. It's nothing of the kind. It's actually tax evasion. (laughs) Their favorite thing to hit the mafia with. Their favorite thing, because he's on the payroll getting the $65,000. Well, what he does is he buys a sports car, and he writes off the sports car on his taxes, saying he's using this fancy car to drive around and sell the beer, and he wants to make a good impression, you know, so that's why he got the fancy car. And the government doesn't necessarily disagree with the reasoning, but they don't think he's ever actually selling anything. <laughs> so they're like, it's not really a business expense if you if you don't have a business, mm-hmm. you know? Like, if, if you were actually selling the beer, yeah, maybe you could argue that, but we don't think you really are. I want to ask a question quick that's kind of slightly off topic, but I think it's something I at least I'm really curious about. Okay. So uh, time and time again, we talk about how these mafia members, one of the main things the government nails them on mm-hmm. is tax evasion. Yeah. So what is your opinion on if all mafia members had just been clean with their taxes, mm-hmm. would, would they like, would they have cut down on their, cut their arrests in half? Because half the time they're just getting thrown behind bars for tax evasion, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or or is it not necessarily they're doing that shady of things with their taxes? It's just that I mean, inevitably, anybody if the government really goes in and looks at their taxes, they can find some sort of evasion because it's just the nature of taxes. Um, ooh, that's a that's a big question. I think. I think the second one is definitely part of it. I think once they have somebody picked out that they're going to target, I mean, when you're the head of a mafia family, like, you're obviously a target. They're going to go over their taxes a lot more thorough than they go over the average person. I mean, so there's that. They would have found a discrepancy one way or another. But, yeah, I think you could also make the point that if they handled their taxes more honestly, they would get in much less trouble. But I don't know. I mean, I guess it sort of takes the fun out of being, being, in, the, being in the mob, right? <laughs> I mean, if you have to claim all your income, then what's the point? Agreed, I guess. I mean, if you're making millions a year or something like that, and you're, <laughs> I mean, claiming all your income isn't the end all be all. You have plenty of money. So, right. But, but yeah, I, I can see that. And I think it's, of- I think it's, you can work out a deal too. I mean, so they're, in this particular case, they're upset with him for writing off somewhere between three and $4,000. That's, that's it. That's it. That's what they're mad about. And again, that's significant money because it's the 50s. But, you know, still not like his huge amount. But that's what they could prove. I mean, who knows how many thousands of dollars that he, he didn't even bother to claim at all. Right. I mean, here he's at least doing a write-off on something that he claimed as income. 
I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting question. I don't know what the best way to if you're a mob guy, I don't know what the best way to do it is. Do, <laughs> should you just pay your taxes correctly or I don't know. I think it, paying your taxes correctly would be a step in the right direction. I yeah. mean, it gives them one less thing to attack them for. It is one less so. thing, but maybe, you know, you go halfway. Mm-hmm. You go halfway and then you when you end up getting caught, you have to pay a fine, but you still get away with the other stuff. I don't know. I don't want to encourage that behavior. <laughs> anyway, so Tony Accardo, he goes on trial for tax evasion. This is a very long trial. I don't know what's up with this, but this trial goes on for over a month, which seems really long to me for, like, a relatively small amount of tax. One of the directors at Foxhead, not the actual president, but another guy, said that, yep, we we agreed to pay him $65,000 a year in exchange for sales and marketing. Um, we knew we knew what the money was for. We knew it was going to Accardo and what we thought he could do. We believed that having him on the payroll would increase the sales of the beer. And this guy testified that he actually thought that the sales did increase significantly. Um, another guy will testify later that sales decreased. So I'm not sure if they know <laughs> if the sales were going up or down, but this guy actually thought it worked. Another former director said that he actually left Foxhead because, quote, he could not afford to be associated with a person whose name is synonymous with the crime syndicate in Chicago. So not everybody was on board with this. This guy's like, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I don't want anything to do yeah. with what's about to come down. Yeah. I don't want any, any. I mean, whatever. <laughs> Another guy who was formerly an employee of Premium Beer Sales, the distributor, testified that even though Premium had closed in April of that year, so about six months earlier, Tony Accardo was still on the payroll, <laughs> getting paid $1,250 a week. He was the only one on the payroll who was still getting paid since the business closed. How do you pay an employee when the business is closed? <laughs> My assumption is is because it's coming from from Foxhead through premium. So they were just, for some reason, they were just like, yeah, we'll still continue to funnel the money yeah. to the mafia. <laughs> right. As long as Foxhead's still paying premium, then premium's still paying a cardo. <laughs> so uh, in mid-October, so this is about halfway through the trial. Accardo pushes for a mistrial. Specifically, the defense claimed that Foxhead sales manager Edward Pulver was asked about Gus Alex and whether or not he was a salesman. Now, Gus Alex, for people who do not know, um, was a really high-level mob figure in Chicago. Um, Pretty famous at the time. Today, not so much. Accardo argued that just mentioning the name of Gus Alex in court was done intentionally to provoke negative media stories. The judge shut this down and said that the newspaper coverage was perfectly fair and there would be no mistrial. Now, I add on to this, I think this is really funny that he thinks it's prejudicial to mention Gus Alex, but at the whole time, like if you read the newspaper articles, they all start with like, Head of Chicago crime on trial for taxes. Like, like mentioning Alex, not cool, but calling me the head of Chicago crime in every article. Well, that that's not going to prejudice. You know? <laughs> that's not going to make them dislike me. So you think that would he'd be more upset about that? But whatever. Uh, Arthur Fight, the former head of Foxhead, testified that he was. Uh, he he felt that he was pushed out of the company by Murray Humphreys, a member of the Chicago outfit. Also encouraging him to leave was Henry Morgan, 
who used to be the head of premium beer sales before he died, Fite sold his 32,000 shares of Foxhead stock at a substantial loss. Humphreys and Jack Cerrone picked up some of that stock. Fite was told that if Ricardo was hired, 100 men, I said this before, 100 men would be on the streets pushing the sales of the beer. In fact, Fite claimed that sales had slumped. Like I said, it contrary to what the other guy had said. Two other officials said that they were also pushed out of the company after they complained about payments being made to Ricardo. The head of the company was like, too bad, you're gone. We'd rather have Ricardo on the payroll than you. Finally, in November, so about two months after this trial starts, Tony Ricardo is found guilty or not guilty? Not guilty. He's found guilty by the jury, and he faced up to nine years in prison and $15,000 in fines. The jury had been 11 to 1 for hours until the final juror caved and voted to convict him. Now, did I miss something? Because did they ever present anything that showed that this guy was doing something illegal? Just that this they couldn't prove that he was actually selling the beer. So really, I mean, the fact... They couldn't prove that he was selling any beer, mm-hmm. so they couldn't prove that he was selling the beer in a shady way. So I it didn't I, have to be in a shady way. Just this, the fact this, this is this is the tax then. He's writing off. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's okay. writing off his car as a, as a business expense, and they uh, gotcha. and they couldn't show that he ever actually did any business. business. They got all kinds of tavern owners, and the tavern owners would be like, He's "I never, never saw this guy come here." Yeah, I don't know him. So all these people were testified to this this arrangement they had, but nobody ever ever actually could testify that yeah he sold me beer. This sounds like a terrible reason to go to jail for three for eight years. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sure he didn't spend eight years in prison because they just don't. But but it just it's just dumb. Well, wait for it. <laughs> okay, wait for it. The judge handed down out of the the possible maximum he handed down the total fine, which is fifteen thousand dollars. But he capped the prison at six years. Ocardo did not go to jail. He he paid his bond to stay out while he was under appeal. And he filed a motion for a new trial. The newspaper noted that this was the first time he was ever convicted for anything other than a little bit of disorderly conduct. After 30 years in the spotlight of being accused of m- several murders and everything else, this was the first time the they government got finally got him. <laughs> The appeals process dragged on for over a year, and finally he was granted a new trial. The appeals court believed that the lower court did not do enough to make sure the jurors were not persuaded by the news coverage. So the appeals court actually kind of agreed with his original argument that the jurors might have been prejudiced against him. Which I think is reasonable because it would be impossible probably for all the at least some of the jurors did not realize this was a mafia boss that was on right, trial. Right, right. Yeah. For something this high profile, they would have had to lock them up well, in a they, hotel. And and still, somebody probably would have known, hey, the guy that's on trial is a mafia member. Yeah. You know. So he, does, he got, goes through a second trial, basically the same as the first trial, and the verdict comes back in October 1962. This time, guilty or not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty this time. You got it right the second time. He's not guilty. I was right, actually, because in the end he was not yeah, guilty. Yeah, you, you were. Or are we going to go back and now they're going to have another trial? No, 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 no. If you want to claim you were right, I'll let it slide. Because <laughs> he's ultimately, ultimately, after years of, of court 
dragging on. He is found not guilty, and he doesn't go to jail. He doesn't have to pay the fine, and he's back not being convicted of anything. That's it? That's pretty much it. Wow. So. That is is the, and I mean, for anybody curious, like, why is this story here? Like, because the Milwaukee part was very small. Like, it was like one sentence. But it's a Waukesha brewery. So I figured this is appropriate. We'll talk about a Waukesha brewery that was hiring some shady Chicago guys. And ultimately not, probably not a good idea because even whether the sales were good or not, I think the publicity kind of killed them off because within a couple of years of this trial, Foxhead's gone. gone. So nobody at Foxhead, well, I guess because they never really had a trial with anybody doing anything wrong it was just the tax trial so right but nobody at fox had ever gotten trouble not that this. i'm aware of not that i'm aware of i think they basically were like if you testify at this tax trial we're cool so, so all the the leaders at fox said were kind of given a pass the the obvious question i think to ask in is but of course there would be no conspiracy if they were arguing that he wasn't actually doing anything anyway yeah and, and which brings me to that this question do you think that this putting him on the payroll had more to do, more, there was more to it than just sales? Because it almost sounds like for some reason they were giving him money to like protect, like protect the business or something like that. Mm. You know what I mean? Because sure. I don't know. It just seems like you could find a better salesman than a, a mafia boss. I mean, I, maybe, I, maybe. I see the, the, because obviously the mafia boss is going to be connected to tons of taverns right, in right. in Chicago. So that's a huge opportunity for him. But it yeah. just seems to me like there'd be a better person that would give them less negative publicity that they could go to to achieve the same thing. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, to be very clear about this. So I'm working off of like newspaper articles and things like that. I don't have very much as far as like the actual um investigation reports Mm -hmm. i don't know what all came out during the investigation because it definitely sounds like the chicago mob guys not there were no threats but they made some strong implications to get people on the payroll so they were kind of pushing that but it also sounds like the guys at Foxhead thought it was a pretty good deal. Like, nobody seemed too terrible. Well, a couple guys did, and they got pushed out. But the guys who made the deal didn't seem very upset about it. So I don't know if there was more to this bargain that we just don't know. It, well, and that's what I'm thinking is, like, the people that were for putting them on payroll, maybe it was because they knew, hey, if we don't do this, mm-hmm. the mafia is coming after us or something. Oh, you know, yeah. type type deal. I hear what you're saying. Something bad's going to happen. That's possible. I mean, or at least maybe they thought that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, because it just, I don't know. It just doesn't make a whole, it actually, when I think about this from both sides, mm-hmm. it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. No. Because this guy's a sh- sh- Chicago mafia boss, which I assume that comes with making a lot of money. He's, and, he's a pretty big deal. I mean, I'm I'm assuming you don't know who Tony Accardo is. I do not. Okay. But I mean that at this point in time, he's like one of the top guys in the country, probably top three as far as like crime guys go. So I mean, yeah, he's he's making millions. He lives in a fancy mansion. He's doing great. So it, to, to me, it seems like to to fight to get put on a payroll to get sixty five thousand dollars, 
dollars a year just seems really insignificant to him. To mm-hmm. a guy like him, he probably shouldn't really care about that money. Right. It, it just doesn't make sense that he would care. So I don't know. This just is all very weird. It, it is weird. And um, it's something I'd like to know a lot more about because I think I think you're onto something in that there is probably more to the story. And what I was able to gather, like, I, I can get the, the gist of it. And some of this makes more sense to me than other other parts. Um, but I think there's a, a little bit more going on in the background that didn't quite make it to the headlines. And I'd like to know that. I, I get, from the Chicago point of view, I get that. Because, I mean, getting paid to do nothing is pretty sweet. And also, even even when it's the mob boss, and maybe that's not a huge amount of money for him, the government's argument was that this at least makes it look legit. And that's good to have, too. Because if you live in a million-dollar mansion, you have to have some kind of legit income you're claiming you know he might be making a million that he's not claiming but if he's not if he's not claiming anything they'll still come after him for that because they'll be like dude you're obviously getting money that you're not claiming if you have a million dollar house (laughs) and you're you have zero income for some reason yeah i can totally see that right so having Anything that you can claim is is real income, even if you're not actually showing up for work. And and I could also see, because I think you mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, is that he was also leveraging this to take tax write, like business tax write-offs. And maybe that was the primary Mm -hmm. purpose of it, is he didn't have a legitimate business to write anything off on Mm -hmm. his taxes. Sure. That was the main focus of getting this is, okay... Can I have a little bit of a salary coming from this legitimate salary, and then I can use this to write off different things that I do? Sure, and just say that it's for this business. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I don't know. Like I said, there's probably there's probably more to it. Um, I was able to put together, was able to put together, and it's something I'd like to return to in the future. Not not for the podcast, but just try to get a little bit more behind the scenes because I think that there's more to this story. And um, and I met. This is a couple of years ago now. I met with uh, the the woman who runs the Waukesha Historical Society, and and we kind of briefly talked about this. And she uh, she was more or less of the opinion that she thinks the story is exaggerated. She goes, "I don't think that the story is really all that that big of a deal." And I would disagree with that. I actually think there's probably more there than we know is there. I would say so because they seem pretty set on well, but they might have just saw this as an opportunity to get this guy behind bars. Yeah. So they, and you know, so they blew it up into a big thing that wasn't really a big thing. Right. To at and exploited it as an opportunity right. to throw a mob boss in jail. Yeah. And I mean and and like Foxhead was a clean company, but their primary distributor was shady as hell. And uh, you know, they had to know that. Like, it seems pretty clear that they knew who they were dealing with. Like, I don't know the beer business, but I feel like you can get another distributor, right? I mean... Or, I don't know. Or maybe you can This is, this is the know. 1950s, man. I mean, was there more than one beer distributor? Maybe you, not. You, you don't I don't know. know. But yeah, yeah it seems... And maybe, it seems like that's where the real problem here is. is you got the... You're working with the wrong distributor. Yeah, and maybe that's... Maybe this was a normal practice mm-hmm. where... The Chicago mob use that beer distributor to try and exploit different yeah. breweries. Maybe, you know, maybe. That, I know what the other beer is they distributed, and I don't know that there were any problems there. Would you like to know what the other beer is? Yes. 
Lowenbrow. I've heard of that. Yeah. So. I know. It's pretty obscure, too. But, like, that was the other thing that premium beer sales was distributing. So, so they only had two beers, huh? They probably had some other stuff, stuff, too. But those were, like, the, the name beers. The big primary ones yeah. that they were distributing. Interesting. Well, I mean, I don't think I have any other questions for you on this one. Hey, that's all fine with me. I don't so, have much more to tell you. <laughs> all right. Well, then, I think we'll wrap this episode up. As normal, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Gavin will tell you where to reach out to us. Yeah, you can go to MilwaukeeMafia.com. You can email MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MilwaukeeMafia. And what else? Is that pretty much it? I think so. Okay, I'll say there's... There's probably other. You can probably find us on Amazon. You can probably find us on Twitter. Uh, I know there's no Instagram, but you know there's probably all kinds of accounts floating around. That I don't even realize they're <laughs> out there. But yeah, not too hard to track down. All right, then we will be back next week. As always, if you enjoy this show, we do have a Patreon. Please go to go to MilwaukeeMafia.com. Click on the Patreon link to join up with that. We'll be back next week with a new Patreon episode. And we'll be back in two weeks with a new podcast. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next time for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.